Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal fam. How are we doing this morning? Good, good, good to see you. As Derek said, uh, Pastor Derek said, my name is Steve and I have the privilege of opening up the scriptures uh, with us this morning. And so I, I just want to shout out to the, to the crew. What's up, y'all? Um, I just want to go ahead and, and uh, if you would, open your Bible to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And we're starting a new series as we uh, jump into Advent. And we're entitling this series, The Songs of Christmas. The Songs of, uh, of Christmas. And the interesting thing uh, about the Bible is that the Bible is always pointing forward. So if you're looking at something in the older portions of the scripture, it's actually pointing forward to something that's going to happen uh, in the future. And that pointing forward points to uh, Jesus' incarnation, him coming into the world at, at Advent, which is what we are anticipating. And so we're going to look at a song in the older, older portions of the scriptures that actually points forward uh, to something else that's going to happen. And so when you've got Exodus chapter 15, do me a favor and just shout, I got it. If you've got it, if you're able, would you rest on your feet as we read the scriptures together? It reads this way. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led your... you, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. To your people, O Lord, pass by. To the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. 
For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine. Here's the the biblical precedence for tambourines in church. Deline would love this. Took a tambourine in hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The very words of Scripture. Amen? You may be seated. Artists are some of the most misunderstood people uh, I think in society, or uh, miss, uh, like people don't appreciate them the way that they ought to appreciate them. And one of the reasons why I think that we don't appreciate creatives or artists the way that we should is that we're a people of pragmatism. Uh, we're we're a people of utility. Uh, does it work? What does it do for me? Right. Whereas many creative people, the thing that they create or the thing that they design uh, is not necessarily, it may have uh, a purpose for use, but sometimes the purpose is just simply beauty. Uh, It's simply to inspire. Uh, And so uh, for those of us who are pragmatists, that's that's actually the distinction, really, uh, if you will, between maybe the, the suburbs and the city, right? Um, they, they're designed for utility, except for Oak Park, Tony. That, Frank Lloyd Wright made sure of that. But if you go to the suburbs, essentially what you'll see is houses that look like the house next to it. And then it, within a cul-de-sac of houses that all look very similar to those houses next to it. And then you'll go down uh, the street and you'll park Uh, at a strip mall and all the stores they're all connected and they all in one long row and they're different stores maybe the same size with different stuff in them and they have a parking lot that makes it easy for you to park in in that particular parking lot And, and the reason why it's designed that way is because it's practical because it makes things easy life's already hard enough uh, let's make it easy on ourselves. And maybe you, you don't resonate. No shade to the suburbs. I'm just describing something. Uh, that's why many SUVs, sports utility vehicles, are not beautiful vehicles, right? You, you don't look at many SUVs and say, man, that's a beautiful SUV, maybe except for the Range Rover, right? Right? Because they're made for utility. They're made to be used. They're not designed for beauty. Uh, All right, I missed somebody because y'all really like SUVs. The minivan. Nobody ever looked at a minivan and and said, boy, that is a sharp minivan, right? No. No, Nobody looked at a minivan and said, man, that thing is clean. No, because it's not designed to be sharp. It's designed to be practical. It's designed to be useful. And so one of the things, if if you travel uh, around the world, uh, if if you were to go uh, to Paris and you walk around Paris, you you realize that the city is designed in such a way 
to be beautiful. Uh, you, you, you see art in every block that you go, and if you were to go to Washington, D.C., you would see the resemblance of things in Paris in Washington, D.C., because they're designed for the sake of art. They're designed to be experienced. They're not designed to be practical. And so when it comes to artists, one of the cool things about designers or one of the cool things about artists is that when you create something, you get to instill the meaning in the thing that you create. And so uh, when, when you create something and, and, and you created it for beauty's sake, then you as the designer get to determine what that painting means, what that art is communicating, what, uh, what that lyric was intended to communicate because you're the source of the thing that you've created. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, what we have uh, in our passage is really something uh, that, in my opinion, comes out of uh, a kind of poetic device. There, uh, there are certain poetic devices that, that artists will use in, in order to communicate two separate meanings, uh, two separate things. That's why, why one of the reasons why uh, Jay-Z, if you will, is considered one of uh, the greatest hip-hop artists uh, to have ever uh, rapped. It's because he utilizes the poetic device of the double entendre. Uh, oftentimes, uh, he's known to have used the device of the triple entendre. Uh, it is to say that you say one thing, but you have two separate meanings. Uh, they're the same set of words, but they mean two separate things. And so an artist is able to take one set of words, whether that be in literature or in poetry or in what we have in our passage this morning is the divine artist's uh, double entendre. Uh, it is one uh, particular event that he accomplishes in world history that actually points forward to another particular event. It is his own double entendre. And so as we get ready to come to our passage, I, I want to preach uh, from the subject this morning, two freedoms and yet one song. Two freedoms, one song. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. And now I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. Stand in my body, think with my mind. Speak with my, my tongue. Teach us those things which we are to know, say, and do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So I just feel the necessity to remind you that I am a brown man. And so because I'm brown, that means that I need some, some interaction. I need, I need some. I realize that y'all still getting over the pie, the pecan pie and the sweet potato pie that you ate at Thanksgiving. But I need, I need you to, 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 to come go with me, somebody. All right? Bless you. No, I'm going to need some more than that. All right. Verse 1, will you look at it with me? Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. 
the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. And then the sister of, of Aaron comes, and, and, and she begins to sing. Miriam, she begins, begins to sing with the tambourines and dancing. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. So why exactly uh, have th- this group of Hebrew people uh, done? Well, in the second book of the Bible, in the book called Exodus, there, uh, there was, uh, it says, the Bible says that there was a, a king who knew not Joseph or uh, a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. Now, Joseph uh, in the ancient world actually saved the people of Egypt and his own family from an uh, incredibly bad plague. And and, and so there was this plague that that hit the land, and Joseph interpreted the Pharaoh's dream to tell him that there's a a plague, and then he put the plan together uh, in order for them to survive this particular plague. And so exactly that happens, and the Pharaoh makes Joseph the second in command in all of Egypt, and he's so pleased with what Joseph has done for the nation of Egypt that he tells Joseph, I want you to invite your family all to come live in Goshen within uh, the confines of the nation of Egypt. And so they come and they live in Egypt, uh, and the Bible says that they began to multiply and multiply and multiply, uh, and really uh, doing the command of God to uh, go, uh, go and multiply themselves and fill the earth. Uh, and then as the scriptures go on, this Pharaoh goes on to another Pharaoh, which goes on to another Pharaoh, and now all of a sudden... This particular Pharaoh, who didn't know what happened with Joseph and how he provided, or at least acted like he didn't remember, right, the stories that he was told, then looks at all of these Hebrew people multiplying, and he says to himself, if they team up with our adversaries, if they team up with any of the people uh, that are against us, then they'll be able to overthrow us. And so he decides that he's going to put the entire nation uh, of the people, uh, of the Hebrew people into slavery. And so here they are uh, as slaves, generation after generation and generation after generation They're slaves in Egypt, but they continue to multiply. They continue to have children, so much so that the Pharaoh comes back and says, I want you to tell the midwives that if there's a boy that is born uh, to a Hebrew mother, I want you to kill that boy. But the midwives say that they're not going to do that, and they tell the Pharaoh a different story for what happens, um, and they continue to multiply and continue to multiply. Generation goes on, generation goes on, and then the Pharaoh in charge decides that there are so many Hebrews that he orders that every Hebrew boy child is thrown into the Nile River. So here's what happens. Uh, There's a woman who gives birth uh, to a son, and she wants to protect her son, and so she uh, makes a basket uh, for her baby son, and she kind of covers it in such a way that it, it will float. And the Bible says that she places that basket among the reeds. And so here, this little baby is floating in the Nile River among the reeds, kind of uh, under some brush, 
and the Pharaoh's daughter goes to bathe in the Nile River. And so here she is, she's bathing in the Nile River, and she hears this baby crying. And so they retrieve the child, realizes that it's a, a Hebrew child, and gives the baby, calls for the mother, gives the baby to the mother, and says for the mother to nurse this child until he gets older. And so once he's done nursing, the mother brings this baby back to the Pharaoh's daughter, and the Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses. Uh, and she says, he's named Moses because I drew him up out of the water. And so Moses grows up learning all of the intricacies of, uh, of the Egyptian ways and the, the Egyptian language. And uh, he grows up in, uh, in the, the kingdom of, of the Egypt, of the nation of Egypt, and serves as a shepherd through a series of, of events. And the Bible says that, that God heard the cries of his people in bondage. He heard the cries of his people in slavery. And he calls Moses to go back to the most powerful nation with the most powerful person human history had ever known and tell him to let my people go. And so over the course of a series of events, Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he tells him to let his people go. The, the Pharaoh is sort of unconcerned initially, and then over the course of time, God sends several plagues that then put the people of Egypt in uh, an incredible bind. And so now, all of a sudden, the Pharaoh is willing to concede. And he says, okay, I'm going to let you guys go. And so the Bible says that now Moses leads the people of Israel out in to the wilderness, and they come up to the Red Sea when the Pharaoh sort of comes to himself, right, and, and says, wait a second, what, what am I doing? I, I just let all of those people who were serving us go. I, I've got to go retrieve them and, and bring them back. And so the Pharaoh makes up in his mind that he's going to send out the Marines, and he's going to send out uh, the Army Rangers, and he's going to send out the Special Ops and the Navy SEALs. And the Bible says that they got 600 of their specialized chariots and horses and commanders in all the chariots in all of Egypt to chase down a group of slaves with men, women, and elderly people, right? They're backed up against the Red Sea with the most powerful nation that world history had ever seen with the most powerful military technology that the world had ever known up until that people begin to worry what we could have just died in Egypt why why did you want us to die out here in the wilderness the bible says in exodus chapter 14 verses 13 and 14 fear not stand firm and see the salvation of the lord which he will work for you today for the egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Somebody needs to hear that today. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and, and, and it feels like uh, that there's, there's some things that, that you have to fight for yourself. You have to, uh, you have to be able to control. You, you have to be able to defend yourself. And the Scripture says, the Lord will fight for you. 
and you have only to be silent. And so here they are, the Hebrew people are backed up against the Red Sea, and God tells Moses to lift up his staff, and all of a sudden, the seas part on either side. And if you can imagine this, the shortest length of the Red Sea, from what I understand, could be about 10 and a half miles. So here to Montrose Beach is how God pushes the waters to the sides. And then the path through the Red Sea would have been 2,500 feet below sea level. So they go in, travel 10 and a half miles, 2,500 feet below sea level, and the Bible says that they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. Now the most powerful nation with the most powerful military with all the special ops and all the special technology come chasing after them and, and, and now they get their chariots stuck in the mud. And then the Bible says that God collapsed the water around them once the people of Israel had made it across that 10 and a half mile trek and washed away the entire Egyptian military. Now watch this. It's poetic justice. Because the Pharaoh said for every baby boy born to a Hebrew to be thrown in the Nile River, he turns around and says, you threw defenseless children into the Nile. I'm going to throw the entire most powerful military into the Red Sea and wash them away. Poetic justice. And, and, and what you have to understand is, is the, the nature of what happens here after they had done all of these plagues and after they had finally made it across the Red Sea on dry ground. And it, it, it is for the people of Israel looking at themselves and their lives and where they came from. 400 years of slavery were free. It was, it was official. We're, we're free. And so now they sing this song, and it was so tremendous that people all over the world knew what had happened. Uh, and, and Isaiah says, uh, who sent the glorious arm of power to be Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain himself everlasting renown. In Joshua 2, uh, Rahab, who's in the lineage of Jesus, actually, says uh, to the spies that come uh, into their land, she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land, that uh, a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Nehemiah 9 and 10, you sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land, uh, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to the scripture says that there is not just one exodus. There is uh, there is not just one freedom. There is not just one parting of the Red Sea that I'm going to do, but I'm going to do a new thing. It says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together and lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Forget about that. 
Don't dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Scripture says that God is not just going to set his people free. He's not just going to perform a miracle where they walk across in in an impossible situation. He's going to do it again. But not only are they going to walk across an impossible situation with ease, but it's going to be better. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be greater. As a matter of fact, at, at the end of the New Testament scriptures, the, the, the people who are there to celebrate the magnificence of what God has done through this second exodus actually pick up the pen uh, and sing the song of Moses. The Bible says in Revelation 15, verses 2 through 4, And I saw what happened to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God, with the harps of God in their hands, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so here's the, here's the picture of this new thing. Here's, here's the picture of, of what God is doing in the newer portions of, of the scripture, the, the picture of water oftentimes throughout the Bible is the picture of God's judgment, of God's judgment. And uh, when you look at the New Testament portions of the scriptures, as we get ready to celebrate Advent and the incarnation of Jesus into the world, when Jesus comes of age and he begins his ministry, he goes out to visit this guy by the name of John the Baptist. And here John the Baptist is uh, out in the wilderness baptizing people, and uh, he's baptizing them for repentance. And so Jesus goes out uh, to the water to be baptized, and it's as if, as Jesus begins his ministry after his incarnation, he's saying, all of God's judgment is going to be placed on me. All All of the calamities of Uh, of your rebellion and my rebellion, all the different times when you built your life on things other than God, all the different things that, that you did when you knew you ought not do them, all the things that you did wrong even when you didn't know they were wrong, all, all of the rebellion against God, the one who created you, is going to be placed on Jesus. And so Jesus continues to live on uh, this perfect life, and he proclaims the the gospel of God, the Bible says, and performs miracles and does signs and wonders. And then ultimately, he goes to the cross called Calvary. And in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, here's the new thing. Here's... Uh, Here's the new freedom. Here's the new Red Sea. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave, Moses. 
but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to baptize some people. And oftentimes what happens in baptism, Julian, is that one of the pastors, this will probably happen for Pastor Derek on Sunday, will say something like, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. As a matter of fact, Romans verses, uh, chapter 6, verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And here, Paul says of Moses in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 2, I did not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, what is he picturing? It's a picture that God's judgment just as those waters came crashing down on the Egyptian army, just as, just as they were drugged down under the sea, just as the horses and the soldiers were washed away, that's what God does to Jesus. All of the judgment, all of the pain, all of the punishment are placed on Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us, but it's a sign that we're in Christ. And if Christ has been judged, then there's no longer any judgment for you and me. It's that as the waters came crashing down on Jesus, because they came crashing down on Jesus, we now walk across an impossibility on dry ground to freedom. And so God says, I'm doing a new thing. The cross was God's judgment that came crashing down on Jesus. He was dragged down into the depths of that tomb, and, and yet after he was crushed by the punishment, God raised him from the dead to have a new life so that you can have a new life, so that we can have freedom from sin, so that we can have freedom from shame, so that we can have freedom from having to prove ourselves or freedom from having to uh, achieve our belonging, belonging. That's why in Galatians 5, when it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer having to say, is my good good enough? Did I dot my I's and cross my T's? Did, did I do all the, the right things that I, that I needed to do? Did my good outweigh my bad? No. By grace through faith, the judgment has been placed on Jesus. All you have to do is look back at the judgment on Jesus and know that you're walking across on dry ground, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what God has done.
And so the only proper response to a miracle like that, to the double entendre of God, if you will, is to raise up the song that Miriam sang. Sing to the, to the sea. Sing to the Lord. Let's pray together. As the band comes, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. We thank you, God, Thank you, God, that you're the master artist. That you're able to take action in the world, write about it, and hold on to a secondary meaning over the course of thousands of years. And say that the first meaning was nothing compared to the second. You thought that miracle brought me renown. Watch this miracle that I'm going to accomplish. And so at Advent, we celebrate the beginning of that miracle. The beginning of something that was an impossibility now has been made possible because of your grace, because of the incarnation of the person of Jesus. And so I pray, God, that as we begin to celebrate this season and uh, with tiptoe anticipation and bated breath as we look forward to the baby born in Bethlehem, that we would sing of our freedom that is accomplished because that baby was born in Bethlehem. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.